hope the morning finds everyone well as we further continue in the I Am series. Jesus, uh, and throughout the course of his ministry, on at least seven recorded occasions, referred to himself as the I Am. He would say, I am, and then he would couple that with a metaphor. So, for example, in John chapter 15 and verse 5, when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, we've been looking at those declarations that Jesus made, trying to better interpret their meaning. And we'll continue to do that this morning by looking at John chapter 6, specifically in verse 35, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who follows me shall never thirst. And just like these other declarations that Jesus made, declaring himself as the I am, we're going to look at this and, number one, try to identify what Jesus meant when he says, I am the bread of life. And number two, try to determine the significance behind Jesus declaring himself as the bread of life. And just like any verse, just like any passage, just like any phrase in the Bible that you're trying to interpret or understand, you have to put it in the context in which it's written. And so we'll do that beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6 of John. <clears throat> in John chapter 6, beginning in verses 1 through 5, the Bible says this. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And so here's the situation. Jesus and his disciples uh, are being followed by this large group of people, presumably because it's the feast of the Passover. Word about Jesus was getting around. He was getting uh, pretty popular, a lot of notoriety because of the miracles that he was performing, healing people. This large group of people, they see Jesus. There's an interest drawn to Jesus because of the things that he's been doing. And it says in, Mark, in, in Mark's account of this that Jesus had compassion on the group, uh, this group of people. And so Jesus asked Philip, is there a store nearby where we can buy bread to feed these people? And Philip's response wasn't, yeah, you know, there's not a store around here, Lord. His response was, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough money to even feed these people a morsel of food if we wanted to. And then we know that Andrew, Simon's brother, approached Jesus with a boy who had five barley loaves and two small fishes. And we know that Jesus took that sustenance, he took that food, he blessed it, he prayed over it, and there on that occasion he performed a great miracle where he was able to feed about 5,000 people, his disciples, including himself. So you could imagine that if you were a participant in this event, the chatter that was going on among the people of what Jesus just did. You've heard all the stories about Jesus healing people who were diseased and sick, and now you see Jesus for yourself. And Jesus performs a miracle that you're able to participate in by eating and the feeding of the 5,000. It says in verse 14 there that the people began to say that truly he was a prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus is picking up even more steam with people. But notice what happens in verse 15. It says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. 
And so people are raw, 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 getting behind Jesus. He's getting a lot of popularity now. And Jesus sees what they're trying to do. They want to come and take him, and they want to exalt him as an earthly king. And that's not why Jesus came to the earth. So Jesus leaves. It says he left alone. The Bible doesn't say where he went, but we know that he left alone. Now notice what happens now in verse 16. In verse 16 it says, Now when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come down to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. And he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on the land where they were going. So here Jesus feeds 5,000 people. They want to come and make him a king, so he slips away into the distance, doesn't tell anybody where he's going. That evening, the disciples decide they're going to board a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to sail over to Capernaum because they think that's where Jesus went. And while they're on the boat, this great storm arises. They see Jesus walking on the water. They graciously invite him onto the boat. And as soon as he's invited into the boat, boom, magically, they're already in Capernaum. The sea is still. Okay, so now we come to verse 22. The following day, when people who were standing there on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat, no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they had ate bread. And after the Lord had given thanks, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So again, let's walk this back through the chronology. Jesus feeds these 5,000 people, or about 5,000 people. That evening, he slips away. The disciples are looking for him. They can't find him. He's, they're on a boat. There's a storm that arises. Jesus walks on the water. They get to Capernaum. And now these people, the people that Jesus fed, are wanting to find Jesus because they want to see some more of these miracles, and they want to be fed again. And so they themselves board ships and sell over to Capernaum to find Jesus. And they find Jesus there the following day. The Bible says there in verse 26, And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Ye seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give to you, because God the Father has set a seal on him. And they said to him, What shall we do, that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe in you? And what work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it's written, he gave them bread to eat. And so these people sell over to Capernaum. They find Jesus, and they're like, Hey, Jesus, we're here. And Jesus tells them, You didn't come here. Because you want to know more about me. You didn't come in here because you wanted to really develop and condition a relationship with me. The reason that you came here is because I fed you, and now you want another free meal. And Jesus uses this time to do what he often did, to take something physical and to teach them a spiritual lesson or give them a spiritual application. And he's about to do that with, with bread. And notice what they say to him. He says, you don't need to be seeking the bread that fills your, your, your belly, but you need to be seeking this true bread. 
And they say, well, what sign will you perform that we may see it? Now, the audacity of these people. Jesus had already fed them. He had already performed a miracle by feeding over about 5,000 of them. And Jesus begins to teach them about this true bread and about God giving them true bread. And the brazen attitude that they have, well, show us another miracle that we may know more about it. You know, I would think that, you know, Jesus would probably do what sometimes he did with the Pharisees, scold them for being faithless and, and, and ununderstanding. But in this context, in this situation, he's very patient with them. And he says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Now, we come over into verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, as we've been studying in the I am series, that, that phrase there, I am, is significant. Why is it significant? Because as was already talked about in the introductory lesson, I am would have been a declaration to the Jewish people. They would have understood that, that Jesus was connecting himself or claiming himself to be de- deity or a connection to Yahweh. We go back to Exodus chapter 3 when God told Moses, you're going to get up and you're going to go into Egypt and you're going to, tell, you're going to emancipate my, fee- my people from Egyptian slavery. I've heard their cries long enough, and I'm going to send you there. And we know that Moses began to grapple with God about that. You know, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? What am I going to say when I stand before the children of Israel and I tell them that your fathers, um, God has has sent me here to you? What am I going to tell them? And we know that God said, um, I am. You tell them that I am sent you. And so when Jesus makes these declarations, these statements, I am, such as I am the bread of life, it would have been well known to those people that he was making a declaration declaring himself to be deity or to be related or connected to God. And then he says, He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now that's strikingly similar to what Jesus said on his Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Remember when Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount didn't say, Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for bread, for they shall be filled, but those who seek righteousness. And I think that the older that I get and the more that you're around people and the more you examine yourself, that it's very clear to me that there is a void in the human heart. So many people riddle their lives with vices and with addictions trying to fill themselves or give themselves some type of fulfillment or satisfaction. You know, I think sometimes we look at, at people who are addicted to drugs, and it's real easy to look at someone who's in that condition and say, well, they're addicted to drugs because they want to be high. Well, that's true. They, they want to be high. But oftentimes, there's a much deeper root to that person's problems. One of my favorite country singers drank himself literally to death. This is a person who had a beautiful wife, He had a son. He had endless record deals. He had a God-given ability, a talent to be able to sing, a beautiful home. He had a steady stream of income. He had everything that a man would want. But you know about his life? You You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to go sit out in the garage 
and drink his liver into oblivion alone. Alone. Why would anybody want to do that? Everybody who has everything that the world could give them wanted to be alone sitting in the garage drinking themselves to oblivion. I mean, that should tell us right there that there's something more that the human heart needs. There's, there's something that we long in, as human beings to be fulfilled in. You know, I read some of, some of the accounts of his life, and it, it said that his wife, when, when they would lay in bed, that she would take a belt and, and wrap it around their legs because she was afraid that he would get up in the middle of the night and start drinking. When they died, they did a toxicology report on him, and they found that he had a blood alcohol level or BAC level of .477. That's five times over a legal limit. They would try to hide alcohol from him, and he would go and drink perfumes and drink nail polish to, to try to get high. Why is that? Why would somebody who has everything like that want to fill, fill themselves with alcohol? You know, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter, uh, chapter 3 and verse 11 that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And that's a pretty deep thought. What, is, what does that mean? I think that we realize uh, as human beings that there is a spiritual nature to us, a spiritual nature, that, uh, an emptiness that only God can feel. And I think that that's what Jesus is teaching here when he's saying that he is the bread of life, that God put eternity in our hearts, and we understand that we, that we exist in this vast expanse of eternity. And so we're longing for security. We're longing for um, acceptance. We're longing to be satisfied. And that's a, that's a thing that only God can give us. And so Jesus is teaching him th this principle here that only he can truly satisfy the human heart. Going further, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone see, who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because I think it really it speaks to the inclusiveness of Jesus Christ, that the invitation of Jesus Christ is for everyone. It's not for the religious elites. It's not for the wealthy. It's not for any specific race or ethnicity, but the invitation of Jesus Christ is an invitation that's offered to to everyone. I have um, here, uh, you know, me and Jessica have eaten this bread. We bought this bread in our home, and I was just looking at um, the, the macronutrient profile of this bread. It says here that there's two grams of fat uh, in this bread. You know, what is, what is fat? What's the nutritional value in fat? Fat is good for your brain. Uh, fat uh, provides, helps with cognition. Fat helps for your home, hormone profile to help regulate your hormones. There's protein in this bread. What does protein do for the body? Protein is the composition of amino acids that help you build muscle, to help you preserve muscle mass, to give you strength and preservation. And then we see ultimately carbohydrates. That's primarily what bread is. It's a, it's a carbohydrate. It's a grain. What do carbohydrates do? When you eat a carbohydrate, it spikes your insulin. Insulin is a hormone that opens the pathway to the cells to shuttle in nutrients, to give you glycogen, to give you energy and strength. And so when Jesus compares himself to bread, 
just simply looking at the, the scientific macronutrients of bread, we see the same principles that apply to us, that Jesus gives us strength. Jesus gives us preservation in times of trouble. Jesus helps us regulate the way that we perceive our, the, uh, our world, it helps regulate our attitude, our relationships to other people, and gives us energy to continue uh, uh, in this life and to hydrate us and to refresh us. I find it interesting that the place where... Um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Continuing back on in John chapter 6, picking up in verse 41. Then the Jews complained to him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said to him, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that they say, I have come down from heaven? When you read this chapter, you see over and over again Jesus referring to himself as coming down. And that's significant because it infers a pre-existence. When Jesus says, I have come down, what, it's, what he's saying is that I pre-existed my father and my mother. It's establishing his eternal deity uh, and his eternal nature. Kind of like going back to John chapter 1 and verse 1 in this book. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That there was nothing created, nothing formed that Jesus didn't take part in or have a hand in. We see the, their response here, picking up in verse 49. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give uh, life to the whole world. And so here the Jews begin uh, quarreling among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, when we read that, that's pretty simple. We understand that that's foreshadowing or it draws our attention to the Lord's uh, Supper, uh, break, the breaking of his body and the drinking of his blood. But to someone who lived 3,000 years ago, when Jesus made this statement, they thought he was referring to, to cannibalism. And so you could see where they were confused about it. And if you go on and read further, it says that a lot of the people followed him no more. A lot of his disciples followed him no more. And then Jesus looked at his disciples and said, are you going to leave too? And then Peter, like he did on some occasions, expressed great faith and said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? And so uh, we see that's kind of the, the conclusion of that dialogue there. Um, and then picking up in verse 50, 53, then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. And this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate in manna and are dead. And he who eats this bread will live forever. These are the things that he said in the synagogue in Capernaum. And so again, here Jesus giving um, a foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper, and we understand uh, what that means. So what do we take from this? One is that the world is morally and spiritually starving. You know, it doesn't take long to look at the world to see its ugliness, to see its brokenness, to see its loneliness and destruction. And there's a void in the human heart that only God can fill, and that's the nutrients through Jesus Christ. You may have a steady stream of income, you may have great health. You may have great relationships. You may have a life that's going well for you. 
But I think that we should probably prepare ourselves to live for our worst day because there's probably going to come a day in our lives where things will not be so good for us. And if we've not been feeding on Jesus, then, um, then we're not going to be prepared for that day. In John chapter 6, in verse 57, it says, going back to that verse we already read, As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. The significance of that word feeds is it's in the present tense. It doesn't say that those who feed on Jesus, who are fed on Jesus, who had an encounter with Jesus on the fast, um, will live. But those who, uh, in the present tense, continually uh, are feeding off Jesus and sustaining off of him. found a quote that I liked from Robert Turner. It says, Christ dwells in us and we in him to the extent we feed on him. This is done by receiving his word, assimilating, digesting them, and allowing them to become a part of us. They produce life to the extent that we live by them in the following of Christ. And then lastly, um, in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 2, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters that you may have no money. Come and buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight in abundance. And what this passage says to me is that really we can't offer anything to God, but God has given us a gift, and it's a gift that's open to all people, and that's the gift of Jesus Christ. I appreciate your attention this morning. Uh, If there be one who has a matter to come before the congregation, we ask that you come as we stand and sing.